Welcome back to the DHF podcast. I'm Scott McNay, board member at DHF and pastor at the Laplate Christian Church. And joining me today is Sam Sears and Rick Grace. Sam. Hey, I'm happy to be here. And it's kind of neat. We've done a few of these without all of us in one spot. So I'm glad we're all here at once. I'm Rick Grace. It's good to be back. I've been on, I guess, kind of on both sides of, of, of the table now being the interviewer and the kind of the interviewee, although we're looking at this as much more of a roundtable discussion. So I'll let you guys take the lead and I'll just, uh, I'm along for the ride. Excellent. Sam's got a better understanding of the situation. So I'm going to let him tee off with uh, what our topic is today. Well, I I think basically it's just guarding our hearts and, and protecting ourselves and being wise in how we act. And it's in response to uh, maybe I should say it this way. By the time that you guys hear this, you might know more than we do now uh, because mm-hmm. we're responding and there's delay in how we record and do kind of things like that. And there's kind of an episode order. So what we are experiencing kind of in our time is a very recent announcement that a pastor is taking a step away for a little bit, both for disciplinary and development reasons. And it was Matt Chandler at the Village Church. And that's not a secret. It's out there. I would encourage people, if you have questions, to just actually watch his words and his elders' words mm-hmm. rather than just read um, an article that oftentimes I think uh, exaggerate things for, for extra clicks or something like that. Uh, but in that, it's come out uh, that there was some over-familiarity. There was private messaging, even though there was awareness between uh, both ma- sets of married couples that a female was receiving a lot of what the elders deemed coarse joking. And it was very just unpastoral, familiar, that kind of thing. And there was too much frequency. It was handled the right way initially with um, a person who witnessed this coming to Matt Chandler and saying, Hey, I think you're PM and my friend too much. And he said, Hey, thanks for the correction. You know what? I'll bring that to the elders. He did so, brought it to his wife, and they looked at it. He handed over his phone. He said, check everything. And then they had a private firm kind of do a a double check on what they saw, and they decided that this was the action they wanted to take. Mm. And he kind of announced that to them. Uh, With the information we have, it's kind of limited. Maybe by the time you hear this, there's more. But this happens a lot. There's the lobby scandal, which was much worse. I don't think this is really comparable, at least Mm -hmm. based on what we know now. Uh, But we see these kinds of things. And a lot of us young pastors, we hopefully are trying to guard our heart and not have this happen to us. Mm. So I just thought we could pull some wisdom from you, Rick, and then maybe, you know, you're, you've been in this longer, maybe kind of learn from each other. I, I think that's the way of saying I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of funny here since I'm on staff with DHF, but also I'm considered a uh, a staff pastor here at First Christian Church in Decatur, that many of the teaching team now refer to me as Grandpa. Now that Pastor Wayne has retired, <laughs> well, my kids—they—they, they, you know, adopted you as an extra Grandpa when you were over. Oh, here. love your kid! I can't wait to come back out to California to hug on those two. That was a lot of fun. Um, but you know, Sam, you've referenced a couple times already what I consider to be a key verse, and that's Proverbs four twenty three. Above all else guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. Um, by the way, that is from the Bible in IV 84. So just, uh, that's where, that's where most of my memorization is at. 
above all else, above anything else you can do, guard, put that sentinel on your heart. Um, And maybe that's a good place for us to kind of launch into, into the discussion. How, how do you guard your heart? How, what's worked for you guys? What's worked for me? Um, I'm guessing we could add both of your ages together and you might still be under me or, or real close to it anyway. Um, one of the things that, uh, that has worked for me, let me, let, you know, I guess since I raised it, let me go ahead and start it. One of the things that has worked for me that has been a, a fairly consistent theme throughout my life is to have a mentor in my life. Even when I was first starting as a young pastor, 47, 48 years ago now, I had an Assembly of God pastor whose name also happened to be Rick. And he and I would meet with a degree of regularity and he just poured into me. And there's only been a short period of my professional pastoral life that will soon span 50 years where I haven't had an older male in my life as a mentor that I meet with with a degree of re- with a degree of regularity, uh, my current mentor lives in Northwest Arkansas. His name's Gary Oliver, and Gary and I still meet at least once a month or every six weeks via Zoom. You know, since since mm-hmm. I've relocated, but the role of having somebody who's going to look me right in the eye, who has an investment in me, but not necessarily in the church, you know, so he doesn't have to walk that thin line has been a tremendous benefit in my life of helping me guard my heart. Mm. So that's, that's, you know, that's one thing that's worked for me. What, what, what do you guys do? What, how, how do you guard your hearts? Well, Rick, I know that when a specific instances or something like that comes up, I, I, I try to contact you with the same mentor way. Um, and then I also have, I've had other mentors that have been closer um, geographically, depending on mm-hmm. where I am. Uh, some of those that I can still call on if something happens, because I, I do appreciate that outside of the church, because sometimes you don't want to tell an elder, even a good, you know, good friend elder, there's just things you, you don't want to talk to them about. And you need some people that can just ask you anything. Mm-hmm. What's going on? Not a guarded, have to keep up the pastoral kind of, I, I'm in charge. I've got everything together. Somebody can just, you can be honest with and then can challenge you and in a way that you'll accept because we, mm-hmm. we need that. Well, I mean, I would go kind of within that same vein that the both of you are talking about with uh, that's the incredible beauty and utility of having these pastor small groups that have been offered through DHF and that Rick has put together because we need that with a, a sense of regularity where it doesn't have to be big devastating things. Sometimes it's bouncing something off other people. Maybe it's just the general reminder that you're not in this alone. Um, that's pretty crucial to this vocation, um, no matter who you are. I think another part of it in dealing with the heart is what do we value? Um, in our first small group that all three of us were in, um, at the very beginning of COVID, I forget the title of the book, but the reoccurring discussion we kept having in that group is one of the devastating losses in the American church is the way that success is valued greater than character. Mm. And that so many failures come from the idea that a person grows in success and then responsibility. 
And when that outpaces how they guard their heart and what they value, it then is destroyed and destroyed by not much. Unfortunately, it cannot, the success cannot bear up under the weight of a malnourished character. Mm. Are you talking about Peter Scazzaro's emotionally healthy leader? Thank you very much. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. So I think that's such a, a crucial aspect of what are we desiring, laboring for? Is it one more benchmark in our church? One more accolade? Is it simply, simply walking in step with God and seeking him every day? For some people, that's going to sound boring and something that they've left behind because that's a given and it doesn't need to be focused on. And if that's really not first and foremost, it's easy to shipwreck your calling with with other um, other things in life. Scott, you absolutely nailed it, I think, in that, that it becomes so easy to shipwreck who we are that when we when we when we lose our own sense sense of intimacy mm-hmm. with Jesus, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, and Schizero and also indicated in, in his book, but I, I get a you know, through my role here in DHF, I'm in contact with almost 150 pastors across country. And if there's one theme I hear repeatedly is that the demands of the ministry are so high, my schedule is so full, and I am so busy that I don't have time for my own devotional life, and I don't have time to feed my own soul. Mm-hmm. And it is spiritually dangerous. Okay, mm-hmm. let me take on the hat of the old guy, grandpa, at this stage. It yeah. is spiritually dangerous if my only time in the word is for my next professional preparation. Amen. If I'm if I'm just in the word for a study, if I'm just in the word for a sermon, I'm gonna be operating in a spiritual deficit. And then all of a sudden the things that I was guarding my heart against can become increasingly attractive. So, yeah, I, I think you nailed it. It, it has yeah. to revolve around my own sense of intimacy with Jesus and my time alone mm-hmm. in, in, in the presence of God. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think boundaries are helpful and good. And every ministry should have established policy, review that policy. But at the end of the day, if your heart isn't seeking and you're not developing character, you can hide a lot of stuff before it comes to life. And that's going to be incredibly problematic if um, in devastating to a church or to a community because of that. Are you guys familiar with uh, a man who used to teach at Dallas Theological Seminary, Howard Hendricks? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I am not. Uh, he's he's even older than I am, Sam. Yeah. So, <laughs> this does go back a few years. I heard him. I heard him speak at Promise Keepers years ago, mm. and he did a message entitled "The Three Men That You Need in Your Life." Mm. And I've I've expanded that with a good friend of mine named uh, Mark Zerby. 
Mark was the DMIN director at Beeson Divinity School for several years, and I was privileged mm. uh, to work with him and, and bring in the incoming cohort of DMIN students for about five years running. Mm. But we kind of tweaked it to the four men that you need in your life. Mm. And the, the first man was the, was the mentor. You know, whether you want to call it the Paul to Timothy relationship, Paul to Titus, you know, you, a lot of biblical metaphors. Mm-hmm. And we've already talked about the role of the mentor. Mm-hmm. And then Hendricks talked about, and Serbi and I added on, that you need at any time in your life, you need two Barnabai. Now, I don't know if that's the plural for Barnabas. <laughs> my, my Latin isn't real good, so we'll call him two Barnabai. Mm-hmm. And the encouragement is, is to find that Barnabas, that that son of encouragement, that one who walks alongside you, mm. one of them should be in the church mm. and one of them outside of mm. the church. Mm-hmm. So the one inside could be an elder. He's vested in you. He or she is vested in you, vested in the church. Mm. But then the other Barnabas, the one who chooses to, to walk alongside is a friend who's not connected to the church at all, mm-hmm. who can look at you without any investment in your organization yeah. and look at you and say, you know, that's a bunch of scubula. <laughs> it's that, that, that Greek word. Okay. That's, and, and he doesn't let you get away with any games. Mm. Yeah. Now I think it's rare for somebody, especially a pastor in our culture to have those three role players in their life. Mm. Now the, the fourth one is, is the, is the Timothy that you're pouring into. Mm. Um, I had, I had one of my elders uh, when I was pastoring in, in, in Arkansas, and we'd probably been there, guys, for four or five years, maybe, maybe even a little bit longer. Mm. And a uh, guy's name was Ralph. Ralph came to me and said, Pastor, I want to take you out for breakfast once a month, and I want to buy. Hey, all you have to do is to tell a pastor, I'll buy, and they're in, okay? Mm. And he said, but here's what I want to do. I don't want to talk about the church. I want to sit down with you once a month and look you right in the eye and ask, how's your spiritual life? Mm. How much time are you spending in the word? Are you praying with your wife? How are you treating your wife? What websites have you been visiting? And all, all, you know, all those kinds of questions. Mm. And we met for probably six to eight years before he moved once a month. And having somebody in the church, and he was an elder, who loved me enough to say, let's ditch the church business. And we're just going to talk about your own spiritual life and development was a breath of fresh air. That's only happened once Mm. in 47 years. And honestly, had he asked me earlier in that ministry, I probably would have said no. Mm. But by the time I said yes, we'd been together for several years. We had a lot of relational water under the bridge. Um, But even then, it it took me a while to grow into my my trust for him, Mm -hmm. knowing that he was really there for no other reason, no hidden agenda except to minister to me as a brother in Christ. Yeah. Man, that was incredibly refreshing. That's a beautiful thing. I, when I first moved here at the, now we call ourselves the fountain. We were first Christian, like so many of us. Um, I did have that one person came in. There was some church business stuff, but it was, he knew, he was wise enough to know that pastors so often, we intertangle ourselves so much with the church Sometimes I, when people ask, you know, what are you into? Like, I don't even know anymore. You know, there's mm. been points in my life where I'm so busy. Well, just, just the church. That's all I do. That's all I can think about. But he knew that we were so entangled. He would have to isolate me and, and ask mm. me my walk and my life mm. and, and all those things. Because if we don't start there, 
well, then there's going to be a problem later on, just like Scott was saying. And for those that, that didn't take uh, Greek, scubula is feces. So we need that person that can ask us about all the crap going on in our life. And um, just to put it bluntly. Uh, yeah. and, and I think that's a, a very good thing. And I think what we're getting at is loneliness. This job mm. is lonely. We are mm. relational creatures, just like it's really hard to eat healthy if you're really hungry and malnourished and you walk by a bunch of Twinkies. You know, we, we might know that that's not the best that we need, but when we have a hunger, we'll fill it up with garbage. Mm. If we're not planning ahead and taking care of ourselves, the same way with relationships. If we're not mm. seeking God first, if we're not appropriately with our wives, then we're not in a state where we're able to think rationally sometimes mm. and yeah. we'll give in more easily to these things. Mm. Yeah. Let me, let me run down this rabbit trail for a second. Nancy and I, no, I'll take that out. I made two pretty wrong assumptions when Nancy and I were married. Now the first one we've talked about and we, we did share, we assumed that since she was a believer when we got married and I was a believer, when we got married, we would somehow automatically develop a Christian marriage. Mm. Neither one of us could have defined that. Neither one of us had a clue mm. what a Christian marriage was, but we were pretty sure we were on the track just mm -hmm. because, you know, we were, we were both believers mm -hmm. and, and we have since learned that as a very dangerous assumption. But the second assumption that I made is once I got married, I would never be lonely again. Mm. Mm. Yeah, now, Sam, you're laughing at that one, buddy. <laughs> but you got to remember, this was this was over 47 years ago. There was only one book in the Christian market that dealt with 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 marriage. One book. Um, I made the assumption Nancy and I would be married. Every one of my emotional needs for friendship and relationship would be met in her, mm. and I set her up to fail big time. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. You know, even the secular world recognizes this. Somebody pointed it out to me a long time ago. Uh, there's an old song called Wonderwall. And, and it's this idea of this dream person who's going to fix all your problems. Mm. Uh, and I heard things like that from youth pastors, young people speaking into our, into our life. But I didn't really get some of those things. I thought, oh, that that's not marriage. That's like dating. That's who you're seeking and, and all this other stuff. But no, inside of marriage, too, you can expect way beyond what your spouse is actually capable of giving, mm. uh, perfection, and, and that's just unrealistic. Mm. Someone once told me it's, it's not fair to expect from someone when it is impossible for them to give. Uh, and, and that, you know, Heather had a little bit of postpartum depression going on, and Alice was kind of frustrated about it. And, you know, everything worked out fine. But, you know, basically, he was, as a mentor, and he was really a Barnabas, he's just... Suck it up. Give grace right now. I know that it's really hard, uh, but you signed up for the long haul. And sometimes long haul includes some rough and lonely spots. Mm. Uh, there's another quote that comes to mind. I don't know who said it, but like the worst kind of loneliness is loneliness inside of a crowd. Mm. Um, mm. And, and it, it's very true. It makes the, you know, there's somebody right there and yet relationally we can drift, but it takes intentionality to get back together. Yeah. You can't just stay in the, hey, there's something wrong here and then get bitter. You have to make the effort to mm. reconnect. Yeah. 
I, I can't remember who I read it from. I think it was I think it was John Eldridge as I think more about it. But he was the first one that really pointed out <laughs> that the first time the, the phrase is used in the Bible that something is not good is when God says it's not good for man to be alone. Now we know that, we preached on that. But when you reconstruct the context, who was there? We're in the garden. This is Genesis 2. Okay. The only, the only two beings in the garden at that point, besides all the animals, were God and Adam. Mm. And Adam was still alone in the presence of God. Mm. Well, if God can't meet all up, geez, now don't, don't nail me up for heresy on this one, guys. <laughs> but if all of Adam's emotional, relational needs are not met in a one-on-one relationship with God, then I have set my wife up for an extreme case of failure. Mm-hmm. If I think she can do for me what God did mm-hmm. not or could not do for Adam. Yeah. For me, that was eye-opening. That was revolutionary to me. It might be a cliche at this point, but so many preachers have used that analogy of the cross of the horizontal and vertical relationships. And yet, if we don't remember that and keep both in balance and, and proper, then we get sidetracked. Mm. Yeah, and I, I think it would also a be diagonal po- pun. If we don't do that right, we go diagonal. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would also be important to point out what the three of us um, are married. Um, simultaneously, God has a vocational calling for people that aren't married, and there's no tier level of priority. Um, to be single isn't to equal being alone, even. Mm-hmm. God has created us to be with people and um, that vocation sometimes gets downplayed in church, which ironically in first Corinthians seven, Paul would have us all be that way if he could, but he can't. So, you know, Scazzaro points that out too. And that was a really eye-opening uh, chapter for me. There was a time um, we mentioned in a previous podcast that I, I have experienced a divorce. And so there was a time I was single. I would say the temptation mm-hmm. was harder after having been married, but mm-hmm. we have on staff, a single person who was also divorced. Yeah. And as we read through that emotionally healthy leader together, because, mm-hmm. you know, we, we try to do our staff, we're, we're, we're a team and so we're in community together. We're learning together. We read the book together and we all kind of was able to understand her perspective a little bit better. Mm. And she might need some more friend time while we might need some more spouse time. Mm. Sometimes these mm. single volunteers or single older folks get a little pressure that's inappropriate. Well, you don't have kids, so you've got this to do. You have more time and that that's not good either. No. Hey, guys, thanks for listening so far. We're actually going to pause here. We're going to pick this up next time. So this is a part one and part two episode as we talk about guarding your heart, setting up good boundaries, following God, and making sure that you are an emotionally healthy leader, to borrow that term from Peter Scazzaro's book. Uh, We hope that you've enjoyed it so far, and we'd love for you to like and subscribe to us wherever you're getting your podcast from. It's always appreciated if you share our content with your elders, your fellow pastor friends, and we hope it's a benefit to you. If you'd like to learn more, you can learn about us at discipleheritage.org. And we're also on Facebook and Instagram at Disciple Heritage. And then on Facebook, you can find us with Disciple Heritage Fellowship. So thanks for listening and hope to see and hope that you see us or hear us next time.